Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 47. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for waking us to refresh to another day. We ask now as we open your word, you'll help us to understand and take with us something for our soul's need this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've just joined us, we've been going through the life of Jacob. In the last episode, we looked at Jacob's settling down in Canaan, his roaming teenage daughter Dinah, and what it means to pray, lead me not into temptation. Dinah was Jacob's only daughter. In her mid-teens, she felt the tug of the non-believing daughters of the land. Genesis said she went out to see the daughters of the land. I shared in the last episode that to see was not just to look at them, but to visit with them, learn from them, and enjoy their company. There is no record that Jacob restrained his daughter. Consequently, she becomes the central character in a terrible domestic calamity. Let's read what happened. In Genesis 34 verse 2 it says, And when Shechem the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, He took her and lay with her and defiled her. So what's the problem here? Well, Shechem was a Hivite. As I mentioned in yesterday's episode, they were idolaters, outside the covenant God had made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Shechem was a prince of the land. I imagine he was used to getting what he wanted. In this case, it was Dinah. Now, I don't think Dinah went out to see Shechem, Uh, Originally, she went out to see the girls of the land. As I mentioned in the last episode, there's nothing wrong with forming friendship with non-believing friends, provided your faith in God is not compromised. God wants us to be an influence for good on the ungodly, and we can when we are walking in his will. In going out to see the daughters of the land, however, Dinah was willingly treading on enchanted ground. She was placing herself in a place where temptations would be strong, not a place where God would have her to go for company. Alan White writes in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 204, He who seeks pleasure among those that fear not God is placing himself on Satan's ground and inviting his temptations. Now, I think Dinah like all self-confident teenagers, probably thought, well, I'll be okay, I'm only going to visit with the girls. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You see, we all have an influence on each other. When we freely associate with companions whose words and actions are not spiritually uplifting, or are downright evil, we ourselves will be corrupted by them. Now, Paul was writing here in Corinthians to adults. If this is the case with grown-ups, how much more does it apply to children who are so much more pliable? Alan White expresses her concern on this reality. She writes in her book, The Ministry of Healing, page 363, The world over, on every hand are the sights and sounds of evil. Everywhere are enticements to sensuality and dissipation. And she writes further in her book, Counsels to Parents, Teachers and Students, The cities have become as Sodom, 
and our children are daily exposed to many evils. Those who attend the public schools often associate with others more neglected than they. Those who, aside from the time spent in the schoolroom, are left to obtain a street education. The hearts of the young are easily impressed, and unless their surroundings are of the right character, Satan will use these neglected children to influence those who are more carefully trained. Thus, before Christian parents know what's being done, the lessons of depravity are learned and the souls of their little ones are corrupted. Now, Paul penned those words in Corinthians because he knew that intimacy with immoral persons was apt to corrupt the principles of the Corinthian church members. And they will corrupt our principles too, and the principles of our children today. Let me share some counsel here from Ellen White on this that I think will be a help for you if you are struggling in this regard. She writes this in her book, uh, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 387. She says this, Satan and his host are making most powerful efforts to sway the minds of the children, and they must be treated with candor, Christian tenderness and love. This will give you a strong influence over them, and they will feel that they can repose unlimited confidence in you. Throw around your children the charms of home and of your society. If you do this, they will not have so much desire for the society of young associates. Satan works through these, leading them to influence and corrupt the minds of one another. It is the most effectual way in which he can work. The young have a powerful influence over one another. Their conversation is not always choice and elevated. Evil communications are breathed into the ear, which, if not decidedly resisted, find a lodgment in the heart, take root, and spring up to bear fruit and corrupt good manners. Because of the evils now in the world and the restriction necessary to be placed upon the children, parents should have double care to bind them to their hearts and let them see that they wish to make them happy. Now, when it comes to associations, I'm reminded of David's words in Psalms chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. He writes this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, did you note the progression here in David's imagery? No one goes and sits down outright with the ungodly, that is, no godly person that's a godly Christian would do that. First, there's walking then there's standing, and then there's sitting. That's a progressive path of association where one thing leads to another. That's how it is with sin. Satan doesn't come at us with a full-blown suggestion to immorality. He entices us with a seemingly harmless thing, designed to please the senses. Then when our guard is down, he brings in another thing, then another then another, until before we know it, we're in a place of dread we never dreamed we'd be in. 
As Christians, we can't afford to let our guard down for a moment or think we're able to stand in our own strength. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verse 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in high places. Ellen White goes on to write in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 717, It is impossible for us in our own strength to maintain the conflict. And whatever diverts the mind from God, whatever leads to self-exaltation or to self-dependence, is surely preparing the way for our overthrow. The tenor of the Bible is to inculcate distrust of human power and to encourage trust in divine power. Now note uh, this thought on how the devil gets the better of us. This is again from Ellen White, page 717 of Patriarchs and Prophets. As soon as Satan can separate the soul from God, the only source of strength, he will seek to arouse the unholy desires of man's carnal nature. The work of the enemy is not abrupt. It is not at the outset sudden and startling. It is a secret undermining of the strongholds of principle. It begins in apparently small things. The neglect to be true to God and to rely upon Him wholly. The disposition to follow the customs and practices of the world. That's why Proverbs says in chapter 3 and verses 5 to 8, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Now, not only are we to depart from evil, but Paul wrote that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 22. The word appearance is translated from the Greek word eidos, which means form. Don't let the form of evil appear with or among you, much less the substance. We are called to holiness, which is godly living. Be ye holy, for I am holy, is God's admonition to us. Being holy means walking in the pathway of holiness. Now, I'm sure Dinah had no evil intention when she went to see the daughters of the land, but her association with them led to her association with Shechem, a prince of the land. We read that Shechem saw her. It's the same root word as see in verse 2, and in the same mood as that word, suggesting Shechem didn't just look upon Dinah, but visited with her and she with him. And the enemy of our souls used that association to cause Dinah to sin. The record says, Shechem took her and lay with her and defiled her. What that means is they committed fornication, which is sexual relations outside of marriage. Now that's a transgression of God's law. You see, sexual relations is a gift from God reserved for marriage. Paul explains what it means when we commit fornication. Now, he's talking here to men, but I think it applies equally to women as well. Let's read it. It's in, uh, it's in his letter again to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm reading here verse 13, and I'm going to read from verse 15 onwards. It says here, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
Verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What, know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now that's down to verse 20. You see, when two people engage in a sexual relationship, it's as though they become one flesh. God would have his people become one flesh only with those who share the same faith. Dinah, in lying down with Shechem, made herself one with a person who was not a worshipper of God. It was an unequal relationship that involved compromising her faith and the faith of her father, Jacob. In the next episode, we'll see how her family reacted to it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this meditation this morning that reminds us of the great need that we have to continually place our faith in you, not to let our guard down for a moment and not to um, feel ourselves confident enough, Lord, to walk in the pathway of our own choosing, but to trust in you always, to commit our ways unto you, that you can lead and direct us in our pathways, Lord, that will please you and honor you. Let us not make the mistake that Dinah made, Lord, in wandering away after the desires of her heart, and which led her to compromise her faith, Lord, and sacrifice her purity. Help us as parents to make our homes a place where our children will love to dwell, that we will be shield, be able to shield them, Lord, from the temptations around us. So we pray this, Father, and thank you in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the 7am Bible this morning. This has been Paul Chapman, and wherever you are today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, remember, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. Why are you downcast, all my soul? Why so disturbed within me? strong home.
song through 